Hello, welcome back to Republic City Dispatch. You know, la- two weeks ago we returned and we were elated because we haven't done it in so long. We haven't talked and, and recorded and, and put a show out to you guys. But now I'm even more psyched because we actually have an episode to talk about. There are real episodes of Korra Book 2. It's not a fantasy anymore. I guess it's still a kind of a fantasy show. But um, yes, we are back. We are going to be talking about Rebel Spirits and the follow-up episode, The Southern Lights. And um, here today we have Dave Gonzalez, per usual. Dave. Hello, everybody. And um, Devendra is not here. Devendra Hardware is not here. He is getting married. So if you see him on Twitter or somewhere online, where does he work? Venture Beat uh, slash film. Send him a note. Congratulations, Devendra. You're a married man. Instead, we have Joanna Robinson, a uh, an amazing TV writer, podcaster. Joanna, what uh, what do you do? I am the features editor for Pajiba.com, and I host a couple podcasts over on SlashFilm.com. You ho- you host like a thousand podcasts on what? Tel- on television? You're a season on expert. on Game of Thrones, on Breaking Bad. I host a general TV podcast called The Station Agents. And I think that's it. That's it. I'm like 26 episodes behind on the station agents. I'm sorry. I didn't get to Orange is the New Black until way after you guys were done. (laughs) That's okay. But um, we have kind of forced Joanna to watch all of Korra. We encouraged her. We told her it was amazing. She watched it. She must have kind of agreed because you kept going with it. Um, And now you are here talking about the premiere of book two. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, Dave, thanks for having me. Guys. Yeah, no, thank you, Dave. What happened? Give us the lowdown on these first two episodes in your amazing <laughs> summary uh, summary voice. <laughs> All right, uh, six months after book one, Asami Bolin and Mako reunite with Korra in the Southern Water Tribe, where we meet Korra's family, Tone Rock, her father and leader of the Southern Water Tribe, Unalak, her uncle and chief of the Northern Water Tribe, and Unalak's twin children, Eska and Desna. Uh, Korra's father and uncle don't get along, and Unalak thinks that Korra should train with him to become more spiritual in her avatarness. Uh, Asami and Bolin meet an eccentric entrepreneur, Varric, and Unalak delivers a cold speech at the feast before mysterious dark spirit attacks that night, defeating all of Team Avatar and f- until he's finally calmed by Unalak with some weird spirit-bending stuff. Uh, Korra rejects Tenzin as a teacher to travel with Unalak to the South Pole, where a portal to the spirit world is hidden in the Everstorm, a raging storm that replaced the southern lights at this Spirits were angered during the Hundred Year War. Still going, Tenzin and his family and siblings, Bumi and Kaya, travel to the Southern Air Temple, where Jinora has, let's call them, visions in a hall that contains the statues of every avatar. Korra learns that her father was banished from the Northern Water Tribe, and Unalak became the chief after Tonrock left. Korra opens the spirit portal during an intense dark spirit attack. While back in the Southern Air Temple, Jinora sees a statue of a mysterious avatar light up simultaneously. Seemingly victorious, Korra and Team Avatar return to the Southern Water Tribe just in time to see that Unalak has ordered the occupation of the Southern Water Tribe long before Korra opened the spirit portal. <laughs> My word. One of Dave's great pleasures in life is summarizing Korra, which is, <laughs> especially in these first two episodes, incredibly intricate and mythology-heavy and plot-driven in a way that I actually, I don't know if I was expecting that. I mean, did you guys have ideas about what you thought this show would kind of unravel as at least the second season and compared to what we wound up seeing in these two episodes? Um, I know that I was assuming that this entire season would be Korra getting to some sort of spirit portal and restoring balance. So I was very surprised to see that what I thought would be the entire season's arc kind of happened in the first two episodes. I was also surprised to see like such an echo of uh, Tarlock and Amon um, in the Unalak uh, Tone Rock relationship where it's just like this distrust between brothers that's from way back and we don't know who's trying to screw who over and I guess that's just one of the themes that unless you're Bolin and Mako in this series you cannot trust your brothers Right. although I, I guess that's preying on expectations a little bit I mean there must be um, they, know, they know that those expectations are there that we've come off the Amon Tarlock 
relationship. And now we're kind of looking, I mean, I think a lot of people latched on to Unalak early saying, you know, he's up to something no good. You know, he has ulterior motives. And while we discover that he does, I don't think he's a sinister man in the same way that Amon is. I don't think he has this giant conspiracy. He's not an evil doer. Uh, See, I'm not, I'm not sure I agree because for two reasons. One, like he, he sets off Tenzin's radar and, and Tenzin seems to be set up as this character who, if not is always right, is often right. So if Tenzin, like that's, that's why I didn't trust Unalak because Tenzin was like, no, don't, don't go with this guy. That had to do with like wanting to train Korra in a certain way as well. But it, you know, it's like, all right, if, if Tenzin is not on this guy's side, then I'm not on this guy's side. But the, and the, the oh yeah, sorry. Sorry. The other thing is like, honestly, my distrust was so deep that I, I suspect he summoned the dark spirits. Like that's, that's right. how much I don't like this guy that I suspect he cooked this whole thing up and maybe even did it in his youth in that whole backstory with his brother. Like but, that's how suspicious I am. See that's, and I, I totally felt the same way when we see that first spirit rampaging through the Northern water tribe, I'm like, well, that's Unilock you know, up to no right. good. He's summoning this somehow and he's making a play to kind of take over somehow. Because he's the only one who knows how to subdue them? Right. Like, but again, I f- there's a gut feeling here that we're kind of jumping to conclusions because of how we saw book one play out and how we see a lot of of, of movies and television play out. It's, it's so easy to define someone as a villain. Um, but because we know Unilock's ultimate goal, I think, really early. I mean, by seeing those ships at the end of uh, the second episode, uh, clearly he wants to invade. Clearly he wants to wipe these people out so that he can, you know, push his agenda on the world. He That that doesn't strike me as a way you paint the ultimate villain of a, of a season of television. Wait a minute. So, like, uh, he's a religious warrior. He says that he's going to by force... I think bring... he's a goon. I don't think he's a he's a... He's a puppet to a puppet master. Oh, he's not the big bad. No, he's I don't think he henchman. can be the big bad if we know this early. And I am actually had not thought about this until just this moment. But um, being so in touch with the spirits, knowing they're angry, um, I feel like there's a spirit puppet master somewhere in here that's kind of... He, he's in communication with them. He's going to open the spirit portal, which... We need to talk about that because that is like a, I'm still kind of, what the heck did we see? What is going on with that? I don't know all the the rules of in play with opening the spirit portal. I'm still kind of drawing blanks there. But um, if, if he, he's kind of like um, the key master. I kept getting Ghostbusters um, <laughs> in my mind, in my imagination when watching this. is like he's working, and actually Ghostbusters 2, he's working for a, uh, Vlad, the painting. Vigo. Or Vigo, yes. Vigo. Vigo. Um, he, there's a Vigo in play here that we haven't seen yet. That's my guess, but I don't well, think, do you think Lock is a bad, bad guy. It, it, do you think we have maybe seen him? Is this, are we finally getting to the co the fandom wants to, to bring to the forefront? Is it possible that he has a spirit we gotta puppet master? We got to let Ko go. Yo, I definitely think he has a spirit. Because we have, we have uh, the voice of... Uh, Miss Delise, the voice of uh, oh uh, Zuko's sister, help help me out here with the name patches. Um, she lightning bends. Her she's evil. It starts with an A. Uh, Azula. Azula. Yeah, the voice of Azula has said that she's coming. We just back. lost so many points with people. I know just then. that was it. They're all tuned out now. Uh, she said she's coming back as the voice of a dark spirit. Dark spirit. Yeah. So Wonderful. since we haven't seen them uh, talk yet, I'm wondering if maybe she gets to be a big bad in some sort of I hope way. It is and- Azula? I hope it's some sort of like spirit of Azula. Well, working from behind the scenes for those of us keeping up with the uh comic yeah. uh we've already been introduced to the idea of spirit forests which is where the original team avatar currently is uh searching for <clears throat> zuko's uh, a, i'm sorry it's a spoiler but zuko's real father who has taken the form of some sort of spirit wolf so uh <laughs> it's very possible That's that Azula goes crazy and ends up being They've some sort of us very um pointedly that the the comics are ver- uh, separate from the Korra verse but um but like I mean, we maybe see- we can learn more from them than we think like we saw an integrated town of both fire and airbenders as sort of an echo of Republic City, I think that it's no coincidence that uh, they're spending time in a spirit forest, which we now learn populate the South and North Poles. And that's the connection that those places have to the spirit world is it's a very specific place, uh, which is sort of a very, you know, I guess 
Eastern or Miyazaki-ish idea. Uh, mm. And uh, it's, yeah, it's nice. I think that's connected, but I don't think that Azula will end up being our big bad, I hope. Right. So, I mean, when when we talked about me catching up to do this show, um, like, I, my understanding was, you know, watch Korra. It's its own independent thing. It has callbacks to the first series um, that you'll enjoy more uh, if you've watched the first series, but it's its, its own thing. But if the big bad of this season is a is a major callback right. to Avatar then it sort of behooves would behoove everyone I to I don't think they'll do it. Although it's they're still daring to integrate Aang and that kind of uh I mean the Avatar heritage. Things we've learned in the original series can continue to come back, but I guess Aang was never a major part. You didn't even need to know who he was. I think in the end um other well, and they talked enough about him yeah. that you knew who he was. And I mean, yeah, there are references I get because I have I've watched some of Avatar. So, you know, when Katara shows up, like when when this stuff happens, it means something to me. But there are intricacies of mythology that if they call upon that to be the major villain of the of the plot, I would want to know about. Right. Yeah. I, and I don't think they would do that. I think they very much enjoy having these two entities be different. I mean, yes, they service fandom by making Aang the the thing you shoot water into at a carnival and giving away Appa <laughs> uh, stuffed right. animals. But we're, I don't really see them. I mean, the Asami thing, or not the Asami, the Azula thing. Is, is a crazy theory that I don't, I'm not invested in. I do think spirits are kind of toying with Unalak, but to have it be that extravagant and that connected to the original series, I think is almost impossible. In terms of callback, though, I'm going to honor Devendra in his absence by doing his traditional pre-calling of a character's death in the first uh, podcast of a season <laughs> and say that I think uh, we are starting to say goodbye to Katara, old lady Katara. Well, that, that seems, makes sense. She seems to have sent her entire family away right as the Civil War starts. <laughs> She's not even the, important enough to kill off. What would that add? Where, where did you get that? Did, Sentimental does, value. Yeah. yeah, doesn't it seem like, you know... It's, uh, you know, I don't want to bring in another series, but isn't it like a good ball, goodbye call to your wife right before a gun showdown? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it just seems what, like... Sending your, sending your children away? <laughs> sending, sending your children away, and then those children seem to be having pointless infighting, and they all need to be more spiritual, and everybody needs to be grounded by something real. And, like I pointed it off at podcast, but now need to bring up again... This series actually starts with our double murder, whereas last season ended with our murder-suicide because we have that very beautiful echoing of the beginning of all the classic Godzilla movies where I a boat that. is pulled underwater by like a glowing squid kaiju. Although I even, my mind went to um, The Iron Giant, which is riffing on those 50s sci-fi movies about yeah. anything invading that no one believes you actually saw kind of feeling, but... Um, yeah, I, I loved that cold open. That was great. And I, I do want to kind of circle back to the beginning of, of episode one and kind of talk about... Uh, and Joanne, I think you might have the most insight here, watching a lot of television. Um, oh. <laughs> I feel like the 13 episode... How many episodes of Core are we getting, Dave? Uh, t- in total? Yeah. Oh, in the season? Uh, I'm going to have to look that up. But in total, we're getting 52 episodes, which... I think, I think it's 13 episodes... The- uh, that divides season, into yeah, thirteen, which is pretty 13. traditional. Um, it's interesting to me that this feels so plot heavy and mythology heavy and so quick. Um, and I guess that has to do with the thirteen episode format. And even great shows, I wonder, you know, when we when people talk about Mad Men or Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, um, we have to push so much. And Game of Thrones, I think, is a really um, appropriate comparison because it has a lot of gears turning it's dense and it's fantasy so you need to do a lot of explaining so people understand what's going on um and 13 episodes doesn't give you a lot of breathing room so in the beginning of episode one i mean the intro the the catch-up what uh, there's a newsreel that tells us that oh we're six months later there's a president in republic city uh all this stuff that has happened and now we're going to do really quick character intros and it's a real shuffle it's a it's a real race to try and get all this exposition out there um and it's i'm a little saddened by it because i think book one took its time in a really interesting way it wasn't just a origin story for Korra. it was an origin story for this revamped modernized version of the avatar world um and here 
of course. We don't we don't get a lot. Um, Did this start as a question for Joanna? What? Didn't yeah, this start a really, as a question for Joanna? It's <laughs> a really long question. Well, I'm okay. wondering. I, I'm wondering if um, if this is because of the 13 episode format, or if you see this in a lot of other television shows and how it works, and if Cora is doing it right, and maybe if I'm just if I don't watch enough television to be able to kind of keep up with it where i'm what i end up watching a lot of movies where it's like oh we have two hours here are the characters let's enjoy the setting that kind of thing or if if this is hauling itself quickly like other television is well here's here's my answer to that and it, and it draws heavily on your excellent recap that you wrote for vulture where you described book one as high school and book two as college and that's a fairly traditional this thing is my that happens in TV metaphor shows of all time. By the way, I felt like I had a revelation seeing oh, you college. Did a, in, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it went all the way through. It was really great, um, and it it tied in really well with my favorite assessment of of the first series of book one, which is to compare it to my favorite TV show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like I found correlations between all of the characters uh, and the the pro bending stuff. Is that high school? Is that like everyday thing that anchors the girl? You know what I mean? As she fights these bigger monsters, it it, it like works really well in in my mind. And then to see that it's over already, I was like, oh, okay. But that happens a lot in TV shows where you have a character, a high school set TV show where you have to sort of reboot into a college world. Or like recently, I was doing a Friday Night Lights recap, and you know, midway through the run, they kind of reboot from one high school to another. So when you significantly change the location and the premise of your show, because with Game of Thrones, what they do is they keep adding things. Like you still have your basic like you know, locations in, in Game of Thrones, but they keep adding new characters and adding new locations. So seeding it in, it's a little different than this where we're just moving everyone out of the location that we got to know. And so I, I thought they did it pretty handily in the first episode. It's just sort of, it's almost a reboot. It's not a reboot, right. but it's like, let's just rejigger the premise entirely. Yeah, this, this is, is not a, a city-based, yeah, this is not a city-based series anymore. Presumably, this is, you know, our characters are elsewhere. I so. shed a tear for that, though, because I love Republic City and I love Lin Bei Fong, who yeah. I can't imagine will see. I can't imagine. Oh, no, we'll I her. would not. I would not count it out. If we know that President Raiko exists, then President Raiko is going to come back you think and we will be back in Republic City. You don't think City. that's just like a fun world building tip of the hat? That Absolutely not. I Ooh. think that, uh, what is it? Uh, Unalak definitely says he's going to bring a more spiritual thing to the Southern Water Tribe and the world. <laughs> and we're dealing with Verit, who controls all the shipping all around the world. And we have all the air family in at least the Southern Air Temple now, which I'm very good to see is now sex integrated. Good job, airbenders. And, you know, possibly we'll go to the other three air temples. Um, we still have tons of characters who we know are probably still alive, like Zuko is somewhere 87 years, years old, and we don't know where General Iroh is. We assume that there's still some sort of thing with the United Army. I think that we're going to spread out in book two because the spirit world is everywhere. Hmm. So you think characters are just going to go off and do lots of different things? I mean, Republic City is still the most technologically advanced and therefore spiritually unbalanced place in the world. So if we're going to be dealing with the balance between spiritual and unspiritual, it would be very surprising to me if we don't spend some time in Republic City. I mean, are you how familiar familiar are you with Princess Mononoke? Are you are you Joanna, have you seen the film? Yes, I've seen it. I, I mean, I keep thinking of that as kind of a template for this season um and if what you're saying is true then maybe there will be some sort of siege of republic city uh it, the stand-in for the mining town in uh in in princess mononoke where we get a spirit invade we get the kaiju movie being set up here we get pacific rim except the spirits Ooh. of the kaijus and uh republic city is i mean any that's city. that's my favorite new addition to book two is the parts of the series that are now like mini monster movies like we see the dark spirits in the shadows and like now they're giant and terrorizing everything but it's like that's a tone that we sort of gave up for like a more noirish gang fight feel in uh, book one and now we get to have all sorts of fun with these awesome designs and spirits that don't look the same they're and- pretty crazy they're definitely yeah. letting their imaginations fly on that i think one of them to me looked like the max 
And uh, yeah. another one looked like Stitch from like Lilo Stitch, and Stitch. Like Stitch, yeah. And yeah, uh, I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but I imagine as animation buffs, it might be. <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, I know that they can bend the elements so that I shouldn't, I shouldn't get too focused on like physical world realities or whatever. But when one of them knocked Tenzin, like, I don't know. Onto another cliff entirely. I was like, does that not injure the bend? Like, right. are they quite used to being thrown Maybe so far? Maybe he pads himself with air bending. Like, if he's falling, yeah. he can, like, make a little cushion. It's a squashed air ball kind of pad. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Solve that problem for you. So, wait, if, 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 uh, if we are going off the sort of weird feeling that we're getting that Unalak might be behind all of this. Is it important that the Dark Spirits only attack members of Team Avatar, even though they he goes into the camp? But is it a Nickelodeon show that we don't see any collateral damage, or is it very specific we don't see any collateral damage? Well, don't we see a little... We see some damage when the Spirits attack the uh, Northern... Or the, uh, the Northern Water Tribe um, in the flashback when we reveal that uh, Tone Rock... Has has done the Thor act of being too. Uh, I, for some reason, I keep thinking of Thor. Who well, I mean, that's very fitting in this war, case. War, yeah. war driven and decides to take matters into his own hands and defies the gods and rampages oh, through Thor. the gods and then they retaliate and and he's banished. It's Thor. It's just Thor, um, which is kind of cool. Uh, but I believe the spirits there come and kind of bust people up and break stuff. Right? But only only so Unalak could come and calm them and take over his... I mean, and that's keep- why I think he's... if Even if there's a puppet master, like, even if Unalak is being manipulated in some ways, I feel like he has control over the spirits. I, I would agree like, with that. But I do think it's important to not paint... And this is a testament to the show. Um, Unalak is not Darth Vader to the Emperor Palpatine, where I think Darth Vader knows he's evil. And doing evil things. He's squashing other people. I think he's more like, yes, we do need. Um, and this is well, the problem with a lot religious. of religious wars. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is the problem with religious yeah, yeah. wars. He's a zealot. You, you think that this is right. And you're probably a really nice person. Um, but you just believe that religion must prevail here. And you will um, hurt people. I mean, it's the Inquisition. Or it's it's any religious war. It's it's the Crusades. Um the spirit world must intrude upon us because we need that in our lives, and he'll squash people to do it. So I don't think of I, him as evil. I think it's important not to. Well, uh, not not to at this point. I think you're right. But it's just so but, but when he, uh, that he's the only one who can, <laughs> who can, like, spirit bend. Right. And they haven't really even discussed it. By episode Twice. three, I'll probably think he's the biggest loser. I think he'll... <laughs> He's evil. No. Uh, there's a, while we're talking about religious parallels, I was very interested to see that the uh, air, airbenders and air monks have sort of become that sect of Christianity that really wants to replenish the world with more Christians. Yeah, that was a weird thing to kind of throw in. I wonder if that... I mean, I don't think that'll play a bigger part. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Bryk have well, often I mean, discussed how all the characters in their show have extremely long backstories and they can't fit it in and sometimes they just surface these little well, things. Well, but that's why they're integrated, right? Is so they could now have sex with each other and make more airbenders? Because it used to be that the temples were divided by sex. Well, they're not airbenders. Oh. They're well, acolytes, right? Yeah. But aren't... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like well, that yeah, thinking, though. So, like, Tenzin is the only air and then his kids are the only airbenders right yeah so that's the why they get so excited when yeah boomy and kaya might be airbenders but they're right not. and they're like no we're just ordinary so all future airbenders will be the children of ang and they'll probably go by some sort of cult called children of ang god with lightning tattoos <laughs> yeah icky has her way god that's the name of my <laughs> um, my punk rock band children of ang children of ang i like <laughs> it screamo I, I was waiting for them to do more with Janora last season only because Kieran and Shipka of Mad Men is the voice mm-hmm. and she's so great. Um, and she was so very background last season. I was surprised. And so it's nice to see that right away they're they're doing more with her. I and and that's a nice that too. Yeah. And yeah, she um, I wonder what her connection will be and why she seems to be having an awakening. She's kind of like a random character. Like you said, she was in the background of book one and all of a sudden she seems essential to book two, but I, and I like that someone with child innocence will end up playing a part when Cora 
uh, is so bullheaded and thinks she knows everything and thinks she's all grown up. Um, that's how really exciting. How old do we think? How old do we think Janora is supposed to be? Thirteen, fourteen. Okay. I would go somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. It might be like a a puberty awakening thing. Well, she gets That's her first case, right? weird feeling when she's looking at Aang, and she's also yeah. Aang's age when he sort of came with right. his spiritual awakening. And she doesn't have tattoos, which means she hasn't mastered her own airbending form, so she's not completely there. So this just might be Janora doing something that really only, you know, stuck up Tenzin's done before. Maybe this is just the awakening you get as an airbender. Hmm. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to talk so much about last season because I know we're here to talk about this season, but since I just devoured it in this week, I just want to say the other weird voice actor thing of last season, I'm sure you guys talked about it, was Lance Hendrickson, like, so, as a weirdly unimportant side character. The lieutenant, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know if, like, you know, he's, like, I love those stories where actors are like, oh, I did this because my kids are huge fans or my grandkids are like, you know, Grandpa, you have to do Avatar. It's so cool. I don't know. Anyway, it was just an odd, odd Yeah, they paid him a lot for like that one line about how he dedicated his whole life to Amon. So I, I, he's one of the- He delivered it well, you know? (laughs) Yeah, he's one of the people that um, our Tumblr, at some point, somebody were asking if he would come back for season two and it does not look- like, we'll, well be I seeing think, the lieutenant again. I always think that's really impressive. I mean, the way that the voice acting community works is that you can get hired to do a few lines for a show because it's great work in between bigger live-action roles or something. And these guys know, much like the Pixar crew, who has always found the perfect voices for the perfect parts, big or small. They just know the talent that they need. And I think that Cora is the same way. I mean, to have Aubrey Plaza playing kind of a throwaway comedy character who's not going to make... I mean, Eska is hilarious in this past episode. But yes. she is not going to make that many appearances. She's not important, in quotes, to the grand scheme of whatever is going to play out this season. I think we uh, would so all say. Oh, so yeah, you said. Yeah. Um, or, well, actually, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with Varric, because if there's any kind of low point in this episode for me, it's Bolin and Asami kind of doing stuff that doesn't seem very important. Will Varric play a bigger part in this role other than maybe shipping something or or being captured and we were taking your ships or something? Uh, I wonder how big Varric is, especially because hilarious John Michael Higgins from yes. um, all these mockumentary... What, um, Mike, Michael Higgins Clark, right? No? Uh, Mike, John, I think it's John Michael Higgins? I don't know. Oh my god. Okay, anyway, yes. I'll am to be there. Um... <laughs> hilarious guy does an amazing voice for Varric and it doesn't seem that important well during the speech that Unalak is during the feast where he you know talks about how crass the current non-spiritual people are they very purposefully cut to Varric so I think he's gonna be our you know weird plutocrat eccentric mm. who's he's going the Miyazaki to character who's gluttonous and is always and eventually turns into a pig it's the same reason I wouldn't count out Eska yet is because this is a story that has said it's going to be about family and balance between spiritual and non-spiritual. So any sort of doubling and brothers creepy, or familiar Creepy twins. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that seems like it's all going to come back. But if we're going to set up a Unalak counterpoint, it would be Varric in this episode. Yeah, who how much does... How much you want to bet that um, the twins are some sort of, like, result of spirit interference in Unalak's life? Well, how does Unalak have those two children? That doesn't make any sense. They're not like like him at all. They're probably, like, spirit proxies. They're going to merge in one episode. Yeah, they are. I'm evil. They're going to shimmer and merge and be really creepy. I know. Oh, God. Twins. And then only the love for Bolin will stop the rampaging (laughs) twin bot. Maybe I'm (laughs) shipping here, but Bolin and Asami, they're getting together, right? Yes. They oh, gotta get to it. At like the end of book four, let's take our time and build a real Asami what? romantic story this they time. They are building it. They're not yes, like, they're not look, gazing into each other's eyes right now. They're just like flirting. It's wonderful. I mean, they're like business partners. Yeah. If, if we're on the good ship shipping now, let's talk about how Wait. Mako and Korra, <laughs> if they're still together at the beginning of book two, will probably not be together at the end of book four. What? Why? No, no, I think they will be together Definitely. at the end of book four. They just won't. They'll be apart in book three. This is Corey Topenga. What we're witnessing here, you know, <laughs> they're meant for each other. As they grow up and as they start combating new problems, they're gonna, they're you know, it's gonna get a little tense. They might take a they, break. I mean, they are gonna 
break up at some point this season. They got That's clear. Up. But they're not. Yeah. They're destined to be together. They're they're great. They're so nice. I f- I related to Mako so much in this episode. It was frightening. Uh, Just having conversations with women in my life, and um, and do you want me to be supportive, or do you want me to tell you how I feel? (laughs) I think I've said that exact line maybe eighteen thousand times in my entire life. Um, And she's like really helpful, and I'm like, oh, I recognize that. Yeah, no, myself, that's a trap because if those two things are different, you've already screwed yourself by exactly and perfectly normal and acceptable. I'm sure we will cap this by by talking about these uh, Cora's current state of mind, but um, I think that relationship. I think it's incredible because it's animation. I think we should always remind ourselves what this show is achieving emotionally, performance, uh, while doing it. You know, some guy drew that. And when I see things in characters' eyes or the way that they move or, you know, when Bolin and Asami flirt or or when Mako and Korra fight, um, it's very subtle, the movements. And I think that's always astounding. Um, And... You know, I, I, I might have been a little underwhelmed by the transition. And I think this has to do with the transition where Republic City was so dense and artistic and the lighting was glowing all the time. And it just had such a mood to it. Uh, and now we're back in the open world. It reminds me of Avatar. And I, I obviously have a desire to kind of be like, let's just go on a tour of uh, the Glacial Festival. Let's just like <laughs> hang out here in the Southern Water Tribe. I just want to see it all. Um, but no, there's plot to be had. Um, you just want more dancing otter penguins. I want a thousand dancing otter penguins. <laughs> I, we've interviewed um, the track team, Jeremy, um, about the music in this show. And oh, I'm so always, good. yeah, the music is astounding again. Um, but I'm always like, I want more songs. You know, I, I loved when they sang songs in the original Avatar, but eh, there's no time for that in Korra. I know. Maybe there's serious. a spirit-calming song, Patches. Oh, Maybe yes. you should write that spirit-calming song. <laughs> It'll be like Pied Piper. Cora will have to sing her way through the spirit world to kind of get them to line up and be appropriate. Um, to kind of, <laughs> to kind of uh, throw ourselves into the, the second episode and, and wind down here, can someone talk to me about the portal, the spirit portal, and all of this stuff that happened towards the end? I mean, after... Um, the the admission that um, Korra's dad was banished. They they go on this road trip. They fight spirits, and then Unilock gives this like long winded speech. And I replayed it several times. Where I'm just like, what is he talking about? Dark and light spirits opening the spirit portal. What the heck is going on? Is this important at all? Well, can I just say really really quickly that I'm. <laughs> I'm irritated that my theory was wrong because I thought Unalak was like taking credit for the Northern Lights, like calling the Northern Lights spirits dancing in the sky was just, just the kind of like religious zealotry, you know, Is that, is that a golden compass reference since we're dealing with religion and it's... it's I would it's, happily talk about the golden compass for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> the Northern Lights, it's essential to that story. Yeah, but like, you know, so he was saying, he's basically saying if we open the spirit portal, then you'll have southern lights. And I was like, that's a lie. This is science, you know, blah, blah. And then it happened. And I was, I, I was irritated that he was right because um, I wanted that to be, you know, the, the thing where you wanted a religious will take correct. credit for a natural occurring event, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened in the sense that I'm very aware of what Unalak said happened, but too many other things also happened. We got a weird light in the sky that we've only seen before when Aang was released from his ice ball, and it triggered something to happen with the statue of what I assume is Juan, the first Avatar, uh, only because I don't think we're in the dark Avatar area yet. That just seems like a parallel we're, we're not ready for yet i think unalak's going to be our balance of spirits but uh yeah i don't know what happened although i did think it was a great character moment for cora just to like the entire two episodes she's ending each conversation by getting really frustrated with the person she's talking to and finally she you know is given some trust by a person that is you know treating her like an adult and her first reaction is just to like punch the ice until the thing opens and it's just very much like her headstrong uh character takes over there and it's not until she goes into the avatar state and oh so gently touches the uh the portal that it opens up Mm. so i I don't know what happened i think we're gonna figure that out but i think that 
she definitely freed something that benefits Unalak, if not everybody. Right. I did feel like I had a flashback to the days when, um, you know, like a Christian priest would try to explain to me what, um, why the Bible made sense, or like, here's a story about religion and the big grand themes of life, and here's why the book explains it. That's what Unalak talking about the spirit world felt to me, and I'm like, it's, it's dizzying. And often, I mean, uh, uh, religious scholars di- dizzy me because I just don't know what what are you talking about? Like, what is going on? You, you must be right. Um, and I, get, I, I guess we keep going back to religious civil war. Um, but yes, grand themes here of, of religion being really confusing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just uh, oh, so many or bent or bent to a purpose. Sure. You know, yes, bent exactly. To a power power purpose. Well, like you know the. Uh, inherent unequal nature between benders and non-benders was our jumping off point to what turned out to be a much larger story last last season. We know this season we're going to have like two episodes of flashbacks to one right. and we also have covered at least most of the characters we knew we were going to be appearing in these first two episodes. So I think we have a lot more story and world to get into and we might not have the clearest picture. I'm just I'm going to be interested to see if they keep Unalak an antagonist through the entire series or if at some point he's going to, if not reveal a puppet master, do a full-on switch. Because hmm. he's also family. This is also, you know, betraying your brother or not. This isn't a crazy, crazy guy wearing a mask who's attacking, you know, everybody indiscriminately this is very specifically a familial tiff that has become a civil war but uh true to life i don't know if sometimes religion can be so deep that uh, family falls to the wayside i don't feel like unilock will ever see the other side of things um i guess i don't really know his arc but it's hard to imagine him not you know loving the spirit world and and go, coming back down to family it also feels a little too much like tarlock's turn in book yeah. one and i don't see them repeating it like that um yeah well that's interesting D- dave are you saying that you feel like uh, unalak invading the southern tribes is is a personal you know beef with tonrock uh, because i felt like it was it had nothing to do with that i feel like tonrock's anger towards unalak is all familial you know but i think tonrock represents heathen the heathenism of of the world to unalak so he's kind of the the representation of why. I mean, we have to invade the Southern Water Tribe because they're full of heathens, like my brother, type of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he if I'm this is assuming he has some nefarious plot. If he you know summoned dark spirits to get his brother kicked out and become chief, that's cool. But then I think it has to be you know the rise of Republic City or this weird non-spiritual avatar who isn't traveling the world like every other avatar <laughs> that sort of kicks him off and makes him feel like, you know, he needs to do this on the behalf of spirits. And the first thing he does is go directly after his brother's tribe. So it's like, if you want to go for the biggest, you know, sin against the spiritual world, you go after Republic City. But he doesn't. He goes directly for his brother. Not it just cool, seems bro. Weird. Not yeah, cool. exactly. Dave, mad, bro? Time, it's personal. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dave, why did you compare the end of the second episode to Empire Strikes Back? Well, because we had the Dagobah cave where Korra had to face herself um, and then finally opened it up. Plus, uh, you kind of get this sort of to-be-continued idea where you have the idea that there's a future plan but really no idea what it is. And instead of you know, Luke and Leia looking off towards a planet that might have Han Solo on it. You have everybody looking down at the water ships coming in. I don't know why you compare it to, to the Yoda cave, though, because she's not... When does she confront herself? I don't see a moment of confrontation there. I think she's that's what just I, unleashing. That's, that's what well, I just she, explained. It's how to explain her quote-unquote, you know, moodiness is that she's spiritually unbalanced, and when f- she's finally given the trust that she's been asking for, all she does is punch things. I get that. I get that. But that's not what happens in the Yoda cave. Well, oh, uh, the, the concept of she had to go do this herself. 
Okay. I, okay. That, that's the thing that I can connect is like she can't have anyone go in there with her. She has to yeah. do this herself sure. because it has to do with some sort of inner inner strength and, and spiritual connectivity. I'll give you that. I'll we don't have to go that. all the way to Negakora to make it the the <laughs> Right. Well, that, that's what I I'm like. If you're gonna say Yoda Cave, she's got to like see herself under the ice or something. Well, we don't <laughs> know. What she didn't. We don't know what she opened up. It's the only true. thing that we've seen that looks like that spirit portal has been the Aang avatar containing ball. So we don't know what she did. She bashed. I did like. I, I, I guess you can't call it a shot when it's animation, but I did like that cell. I don't know of. Cora sort of dangling down and reaching out to touch the portal. It seemed very a very iconic image to me. I really right liked as it. She was being like entangled by the snake the demon snake spirits. Yes, um, you can definitely call that a shot. That is a shot, um, okay. and you should because this these two episodes demonstrate this new style they're playing with. There's handheld camera work in these two episodes, which I thought was very strange. You see it yes. with Varric. Um, Bolin's POV shot when he's trying to see um, the the sexy lady behind Varric, and then you see it in the flashback um, to to Tanrak's war um, against barbarians. I, I, I thought that was really weird that bar- barbarians are just invading. But anyway, um, yeah, they play with it's it's very popular focus, these days. Focus too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very uh, popular in action movies. Uh, of this past summer. I think we saw it in like Man of Steel and Iron Man 3 and I I wrote a big rant about this kind of like fake documentary style where you're zooming in and focusing and I actually think it works here um, if only because it's so startling and being like wow if if you're an animated show on Nickelodeon you don't have to just you know this angle and then this angle and then this angle because we're constructing still pictures. Um, No it can be fluid and it can match I mean, fluidity is so important to Korra. Um, one of the things that I noted in my Vulture recap was that the action that we saw in book one was very precise. I mean, it's martial arts. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget watching that um, scene where Korra and Mako fight equalist uh, goons for the first time. And that is just so startling, the way that that scene is directed and the angles, and um, it's very precise. Here, she gets knocked around by spirits, and they're just like, blah, flailing around, smacking Tenzin, and, and all sorts of nonsense. It's all about chaos, and it's all about how it's, it, it's not precise. It's imperfect. I just love that. I mean, it's not as um, energizing in, a, in an action sense. I don't think anything that we saw in these past two episodes was like, inst- like made my mouth drop um, the way that some of the action in book one did. But really, I, I just thought it was cool to see things kind of out of control definitely i mean i also enjoy a lot of the lighting and atmospherics effects outdoors uh which we didn't get a lot in republic city because we had that very nice you know glow smoky ashy thing that was purveying everything the noir look if you will now we're totally in like crazy fantasy color land and i'm loving it well if you uh, let me ask do you think that uncontrolled chaos of of the spiritual fights and that sort of thing or the spirit fights correlates to Cora's like own like, turmoil and moodiness and that sort of stuff and if, perfect if this segue. is perfect yeah. segue Joanna yeah I think you're, <laughs> I think you're absolutely correct um and this is why it's surprising to me to see so many vicious reactions after these two episodes on Tumblr and Twitter um kind of knocking Cora and calling her out as, as this moody girl who can't get her stuff together, um, who seemed to have life figured out by the end of book one. Um, and this, again, where, is where I keep thinking of the transition, at least that I had, I don't know about you guys, but um, between high school and college. And high school where I'm like, I've accomplished so much, I'm getting a degree, I'm, I have life figured out, time to go to the real world. And then you get, show up to the real world and it's like, I don't know anything. I am clueless. Uh, life is insane and chaotic and stressful in a whole new way. And, I mean, I was an emotional wreck when I first got to college because I was trying to figure it all out. Um, and relationships end or, or they get more confusing and it was it's just such a muddled time and that's what i think cora's problem is right now she's not a disaster of a human being she's not a mean person she just doesn't have life figured out the way that she thought she did 
it it reminded me a lot of the I made the note of um I think it's Harry Potter book five. There's one Harry Potter book, either Harry Potter book five or six, where Harry Potter is a complete nightmare. He yeah. is a brat. Oh, he's that he's mean to wrong. Incident? Yeah. <laughs> he yells at everyone, is terrible to Dumbledore, who is our like Tenzin like stand in. I mean, and that's just a natural progression of growing up and especially growing up in this hero context of you have a lot of pressures as a hero. And it's, you know, Harry Potter's not the only place we've seen it. You see it over and over again in the hero journey where the hero sort of pushes back against some of their responsibilities or the people who have been guiding the hero, you know, the hero is trying to come into their own. So they push off their advisors, even if their advisors are right or their advice is kindly meant, you know, and so. Cora knows she needs to study airbending, yet she calls it boring. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. I didn't, I wasn't particularly a fan of Cora this, these two episodes. It wasn't like I thought she was a treat to be around, but I, I didn't think that it's not here to stay. It's, it's a thing she's going through. Right. She's making wrong decisions so that she can correct them and have that awakening. Well, I think we saw a little bit of, you know, the core we saw in the last first two episodes we saw in book one, which just goes to show that, you know, having learned airbending and fought Amon does not an avatar make. This isn't the, it's not taking down the Fire Lord and talking to a lion turtle. She didn't have that big of a win. <laughs> well, so it seemed in the first series, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, right, each, each season, each book is named after the element that needs to be mastered or or what what are the names that's correct the yes. element that ang is mastering that ang needs that to season. master yeah and so last last season was air and then this season is called spirit right book 2 spirit spirits spirits and so yeah i mean she's going through a spiritual journey and that's you sometimes that's mood making it's frustrating Indeed. Um, well, I think but let's that, not let's not talk about menstruation, everybody. Oh that's that's unfair. I would. I don't think. Yeah, that is a really slight way of describing what's going on. I think. Um, I mean, I find it. I find Cora's journey in these first two episodes extremely relatable. So I wouldn't write anyone off like that. Um, why don't we wrap up and talk about our favorite moments from these two episodes? Joanna, let's start with you. What what did you love? What little thing or moment or piece of dialogue did you love? Um, I liked the whole Tonrock um Thor backstory, the whole flashback um with the narration with James Reamer's like beautiful voice, the score and then just the art. I do love like a a lovely flashback montage. You're a so. Sons of Anarchy fan. Is that or is he in Sons of Anarchy? Or no, no wait, Dexter. The guy who plays Dexter. Unalak is in Sons of Anarchy, I believe. Oh, yeah. It is like a very side character. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yes, he's te- Dexter's dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was really... It kind of came out of nowhere, but I still really respect it. I guess those moments often do in life when a parent finally admits something to their child. Um, I feel like every time I've embarrassed, been embarrassed by my parents because they're like telling me something extremely personal at a dinner in a public dinner, I'm like, oh my god, why are you saying this? Do you think uh, his... my boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think his experience with his family is why he's kept Cora and training in the Southern Water Tribe for as long as he did? Well, it is. In- I mean, that is interesting because why don't they want her to learn with Unalak? I mean, do they know that something is wrong with Unalak? Uh, especially Tenzin suggests that she get in touch with her spiritual side. So, what is the disconnect? Here. Well, I think it's interesting that they mentioned that she's the only avatar that hasn't learned their bending by traveling. So she's like kind of a shut-in, book-smart, spoiled schoolgirl in she's that global. sense. Yeah, she's global. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but uh, it, I, I, I don't know. She, they seem to blame Tanrock and Tenzin for making that decision because she thought it was the White Lotus, but it ended up not. So I'm wondering if there's if they know something they're protecting Korra from that we don't know yet. Interesting. Well, it seemed like it seems like there were two motivations there for Tenzin. It's that he feels like it should be done in order, and she hasn't quite mastered her airbending yet. And then for Tanrock, it's this very personal don't go with my brother, he's the worst sort of thing. You know, so it's not that Unalak is evil, it's I don't like my brother and you're not done with your airbending training yet. So, seemed like to me, I don't know. Hmm. 
Dave, what is your favorite moment? There weren't a lot of Pabu dancing moments to choose from in this episode, so I'm interested <laughs> I mean, in your choice here. Two of my favorite moments, uh, they were not next to each other, but they both involved Bolin's magic jacket. One is when he offers everybody frozen something. and Cucumber. For like, yeah, frozen cucumber. And for like three frames, Pabu jet- jumps out of the jacket and takes them out of his hand. And the second time is the sound that his jacket makes when Mako stops it with his foot, where it sounds like one of those uh, giant inflatable balls you play with <laughs> in like preschools. And it's just something about the comic timing of it and then it getting lanced with the icicles and just Bolin's whole reaction to everything that happens during that trip is fantastic. PJ Byrne had quite the week this week. I felt... Um... I loved that moment. I, I guess it's right after that where Bolin's jacket is inflated and Eska just throws up her hand and creates uh, ice spears to deflate yeah. him. It, it felt very Daria to me, but maybe that's just the inherent part of the character. Uh, I just love that. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Um, my favorite moment, I think, was kind of a, like a sadder moment. Um, I love Tenzin. Tenzin is my favorite character in the show. And I... I was I was sad to see, and uh, Katara was extremely sad to see Tenzin being picked on by Bumi and Kaya, and I love that moment where he's sitting at the table, kind of taking crap from them, and Katara, they cut to Katara looking at him and being kind of sullen, um, and I just thought that was a very poignant moment and a telling about. I, I felt like I got a heap of backstory without having to be told what happened, um, and I just love that, and it and it happens a little earlier. Tenzin gets jabbed. Um, by Kai and says, oh, you're afraid of me, aren't you? And Tenzin says, I'm not afraid of you, under his breath, anymore. <laughs> and I just, I just love that. So Is Tenzin the oldest? Tenzin's the man. Um, I could not tell you that. Is they there seem... a connection to Tenzin being distanced from his siblings and Jainora being the connection to the oh spirit my, world oh for gosh. her generation? Maybe, maybe this is maybe I this mean, is I, the beginning of a larger uh, conversation. I don't know. Yeah, if you if you grow up with one sibling as a bender and the other two are not, you know that's going to cause a rift, right? Is Probably. Kaya a waterbender? I don't know. I don't. I, don't, we, I mean, we I haven't think, seen her waterbend. I think if we're going by the um, uh, the family tree that was put online for last season, she's a non-bender, but we haven't mm. seen it one way or the other. I guess just because she's dressed like Katara, I assume right. that she waterbends and Boomy is the, the lame duck of the family. Um, the yeah. runt. Um, Kaya, I really like Kaya. I'm not sure I'm fully on board with Boomy. Um, you don't like? He's, he's basically the excuse to have Aang humor in this, uh, in this series. True. I'm a big fan of whoever that voice actor is, though, in terms of just coming out and doing a performance that I'm like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this character. Yeah. well i think that actually wraps up our conversation of rebel spirits and uh whatever this episode is called southern lights southern lights um which joanna takes serious uh problems umbridge yes umbridge um (laughs) they shouldn't they don't belong there uh why why don't we tell the people where they can find us and uh joanna where can we find you on the internet uh, every day on Pajiba.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at QuitYourJRob. Excellent. Dave? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E and writing about superhero movie news at Latino-Review.com, as well as co-hosting with Mr. Patches, mm. the Operation Kino podcast every twice a week at OpKino.com. I'm Matt Patches. As Dave mentioned, we host Operation Kino pop culture podcast together. All of my work is on mattpatches.com, which is my Tumblr. And as we mentioned, I'm recapping The Legend of Korra over at vulture.com, so read that. And we will be back next week. 